good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to episode of Living Light Outdoors. On the mic with you in the office, it's story time with Buster. We are about halfway through Rick Joyner's Epic Battles of the Last Days. Again, I know this reading is not quite um, maybe as intriguing as some of the other stories that we've done because of how he tells stories. This is a lot of teaching material, in my opinion, and it's good quality teaching material. It's things we should be paying attention to. We're starting into part three of this book today, Epic Battles of the Last Days, and the title of part three is The Religious Spirit. So chapter seven, Combating the Religious Spirit. We're not going to get completely through this today. I'm going to, I'm going to bite this one down. Uh, there's a lot of material in this particular chapter, and I want to make sure that we get it uh, and, and, and not get crammed full here. So uh, with that, Combating the Religious Spirit. Loving God is the greatest commandment and the greatest gift that we can possess. The second great commandment is to love our neighbor. As the Lord affirmed, the whole law is fulfilled by keeping these two commandments. That is, if we keep these two commandments, we will keep the whole law. If we love the Lord, we will not worship idols. If we love our neighbors, we will not envy them, steal from them, murder them, etc. Therefore, keeping these two positive commandments to love will enable us to fulfill all the negative do-nots of the law. Simple love for God will overcome most of the evil in our hearts and is the most powerful weapon against the evil in the world. Because loving God is our highest goal, it must be the primary focus of our lives. That is why one of the enemy's most deceptive and deadly attacks upon the church is meant to divert us from this ultimate quest. It is his strategy to keep us focused on the evil in our lives knowing that we will become what we are beholding. See 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 for that. As long as we keep looking at the evil, it will continue to have dominion over us. When we look to the Lord and behold His glory, we will be changed into His image. Now, this is not to imply that we, have, we excuse and overlook the sin and error that is now in our lives. In fact, the Scriptures command us to examine ourselves and test ourselves to be sure that we are still in the faith. See 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. The issue is, what do we do after the, in, the iniquity is discovered? Do we turn to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or to the tree of life? Do we try to make ourselves better so that we will then be acceptable to God? Or do we turn to the cross of Jesus to find both the forgiveness and the power to overcome the sin? A primary strategy of the enemy is intended to keep us focused on the evil partaking of the tree of knowledge, and away from the glory of the Lord and the cross. This tactic comes in the form of a religious spirit. This spirit is the counterfeit to true love of God and true worship. This evil spirit has probably done far more damage to the church than the New Age movement and any other cults combined. The nature of a religious spirit. A religious spirit is a demon which seeks to substitute religious activity for the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. Its primary objective is to have the church holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. That's 2 Timothy 3, 5. The Apostle Paul completed his exhortation with, Avoid such men as these. This religious spirit is the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew sixteen six, of which the Lord warned his disciples to beware. When the Lord used metaphors, it was because they characterized the object of the lesson, the religious spirit does operate like the leaven in bread. 
It does not add substance or nutritional value to the bread. It only inflates it. Such is the result of the, re the religious spirit. It does not add to life and power of the church. It feeds the very pride of man which caused the first fall and almost every fall since. Satan seems to understand even better than the church that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble, James 4, 6. He knows very well that God will not inhabit any work that he can inflate through pride and that God himself will even resist it. So Satan's strategy is to make us proud, even proud of the good things, such as how much we read our Bibles or witness or feed the poor. He knows well that even if we do the will of God in pride, it will be counterproductive and can even ultimately work toward our fall. Satan also knows that once leaven gets into the bread, it is most difficult to remove. Pride, by its very nature, is the most difficult stronghold to correct or remove. A religious spirit keeps us from hearing the voice of God by encouraging us to assume that we already know God's opinion and what he's saying and what pleases him. This delusion is the result of believing that God is just like us. This will cause even the rationalization of Scripture, having us believe that rebukes, as exhortations, and words of correction are for the people, but not for us. If this is a problem in your life, you have probably already begun to think about how badly someone you know needs to read this. It may not even have occurred to you that God put this into your hand because you need it. In fact, we all need it. This is one enemy that all of us are probably battling in some degree. It is imperative that we get free of this devastating deception and stay free. We will not be able to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth until we do. The degree to which we have been delivered from this powerful deception will directly affect the degree to which we will be able to preach the true gospel in true power. The church's confrontation with the religious spirit will be one of the epic battles of the last days. Everyone will be fighting in this battle. The only issue to be determined is on which side we will be during this battle. We will not have the authority to deliver others from the darkness if we are not free from it ourselves. To begin taking ground from this vast enemy, we must ask the Lord to shine his light on us, showing how this applies to us personally. As the Lord continuously confrontations with the Pharisees were an example, the church's most desperate fight from the very beginning has been with this spirit. Just as the primary characteristics of the Pharisees was their tendency to focus on what was wrong with others while being blind to their own faults. The religious spirit tries to make us more prone to seeing what is wrong with others than the need for our own correction. The Great Deception One of the most deceptive characteristics about the religious spirit is that it is founded upon zeal for God. We tend to think that zeal for God cannot be evil, but that depends on why we are zealous for him. Paul wrote of his Jewish brethren in Romans 10.2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not in the accordance with knowledge. No one on earth prayed more, fasted more, read the Bible more, had a greater hope in the coming of the Messiah, or had more zeal for the things of God than the Pharisees. Yet they were the greatest opposers of God and his Messiah when he came. The young Saul of Tarsus accurately called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was motivated by zeal for God while he was persecuting his church. Zeal for God is one of the most desperately needed characteristics of the church today, which is bound by a terrible Laodicean lukewarmness. The Lord commanded the church to be zealous, therefore, and repent, 
Revelation chapter 3, verse 19, the, ze- the truly zealous are the most difficult to stop. So the enemy's strategy against those that he cannot stop is to push them too far. His first step is to get them to glory in their own zeal. Regardless of how important a gift or characteristic is that we have, if the enemy can get us to take pride in it, he will have us in his snare and will use that gift for evil. The Lord had little trouble with demons while he walked the earth. They quickly bowed the knee to him, begging for mercy. It was the conservative, zealous religious community that immediately became his greatest enemy. Those who were the most zealous for the word of God crucified the word himself when he became flesh to walk among them. The same is still true. All of the cults and false religions combined have not done as much damage to the moves of God as the opposition or the infiltration of the religious spirit in the church. Cults or false religions are easily discerned, but the religious spirit has thwarted or diverted possibly every revival or movement to date, and it still retains a seat of honor throughout most of the visible church. It is a manifestation of the religious spirit that will take its seat in the very temple of God, declaring himself to be God. The temple of God is no longer made with hands, and this is not speaking about a building in Jerusalem. This man of sin will take his seat in the church. Unfortunately, it will obviously be the church that allows him to do this. The two foundations. Like most of the enemy's strongholds, the religious spirit builds its work on two basic foundations, fear and pride. The religious spirit seeks to have us serve the Lord in order to gain his approval, rather than from a position of having received our approval through the cross of Jesus. Therefore, the religious spirit bases relationships to God on personal discipline rather than on the proprietary sacrifice of Christ. The motivation for doing this can be either fear or pride, or a combination of both. Fear and pride are the two basic results of the fall, and our deliverance from them is usually a long process. That is why the Lord even gave Jezebel time to repent. See Revelations chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. The biblical Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab, and a very religious woman, but she was given to false religion. The Lord gave her time to repent because the roots of this spirit go so deep that time is required to fully repent and to be delivered from it. However, even though the Lord gave Jezebel time to repent, he rebuked the church of Thyatira for tolerating her. Verse 20, we can be patient with people who have religious spirits, but we must not tolerate their ministry in our midst while we are waiting. If this spirit is not confronted quickly, it will do more damage to the church, our ministries, our families, and our lives than possibly any other assault that we may suffer. I think I'm going to pull us in right there. Uh, The the next segment of this is a little bit lengthy. I don't want to dig too deep into that today. Pride. The Bible says that pride comes before a fall. We, We understand that. But again, what he's describing here is that's still one of the greatest, quickest ways for the enemy of our soul to attack us today, to, to, to cause us to trip, to cause us to stumble, because we're, uh, we're doing good things. We're doing what we're asked to do. We're, we're following the Word of God. Maybe we're even speaking the Word of God, but we find ourselves, and I think most every one of us could figure out a way that we're guilty of this. That when we hear this powerful word, when we hear a good message, or maybe we're sitting in church and and the pastor's pulling down this 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 incredible stronghold with with powerful word of God, and we think, "Woof, 
man, I wish old so-and-so was here to hear that. You know what? When we catch ourselves in that spot, we probably should quickly reflect on how that word should apply to our hearts. You know, I, I tell Rhonda, and, and we talk about this frequently in, in our conversations, that, that I put these messages together. The message I just uh, spoke, I believe, yesterday, um, we're talking about cloudy days, if you go back and listen to our podcast, it had a reference to me. I was going through a difficult time. I was depressed. I was stressed. I was worried. I, I had all these things that I shouldn't be, all these things that I speak about to other people. You know, all of these messages that I preach, you know, they're, they're for your benefit. But what you don't understand is I must eat them too. Th- these messages apply to me, and I apply them because that's how God uses them through me. I, I, I apply that word to myself, and then I speak it out to others. It's it's because of and and also you know there's there's passages passages of scripture or there's a message that he gives me that sometimes I never preach because it was just for me. Oftentimes the Bible will give you words just for you that don't necessarily need to be shared to someone else. Then again, as God reveals things in my life in my heart and I take them to heart and I put them into efforts and and into and into to processing inside my life. Oftentimes, it also comes back out in a message for someone else. I want to share what God is doing in me. I make it personal a lot of times, and I think most of you realize that. And that's what he's talking about here. When we find ourselves in a place where we're thinking, whoo, oh, so-and-so should have been here to hear that. Well, oh, so-and-so might be us. And we need to take that into account. And we need to allow God's word to penetrate our hearts. Search us, O oh God. Search our hearts, O oh God. Judge me. Remember all the, the word we talked about in one of the books I read of Rick's uh, was, was that judging, that, that judgment seat that where we ask to be judged. God, judge my spirit that I be found clean before you, that you can use me as a vessel to pour into someone else. That's where we need to be in life. Don't let pride take root. Don't let pride have a place. Constantly check yourself. Check your heart. Ask God to reveal whatever it is inside of you that might be prideful, that you might be judgmental, you might be critical of something else. And, and rather than being that judgmental, critical person, maybe you turn yourself into an intercessor, the way instead of criticizing something, you begin to intercede over that person, that ministry, that church, whatever it might be that's going on inside of you. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for following our podcast. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Uh, we, we desperately need all of the above. Thank you for partnering with us, your friendships, your relationships with Rhonda and I. We love you guys so much. We're praying over you. God bless you. We'll talk to you again real soon.